0: Welcome to another Neon Jazz interview with talented Chicago-based saxophonist and educator Caroline Davis. During the course of this interview, Caroline discusses her early music influences while living in Atlanta, music theory, her first full album as a leader, which is top shelf, and it's called Live, Work, and Play, her jazz heroes, a pending move to the Big Apple, along with much more. Dig it, Thank you very much for taking your time out and speaking with us.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: First off, I want to ask you, based on your bio, you said you were born in Singapore to European parents. Can you elaborate on that a little bit?
1: Uh, Yeah, sure. Well, my family is originally from uh, Great Britain and Sweden, and so my my mom's side of the family is Swedish and dad's side is British, and they just both so happened to go to universities in upstate New York. My mom went to Russell Sage for... Acting. Um, and my father went to a Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, which was basically right across the street. Um, and they met there. Um, and then uh, they went back overseas because my dad got an opportunity to work for Westinghouse. And that just so happened to take them into Singapore, which is where I was born okay. and raised for about six years. And then we moved to the States when I was about six. To Atlanta, Georgia, and then the rest of the time I grew up in Atlanta, and then Dallas, Texas, from age thirteen on, I think. And then I moved up here when I was about uh, twenty-three. So,
0: so talk to me about your family, how they influenced you to get into jazz to get into music. Who was the big influence, and uh, why did you do it?
1: Well, um, my dad. Listen to well, both my parents listened to a lot of soul and R and B music when I was a kid. Um, Michael Jackson and Steely Dan and Chicago and all those bands with great horn sections. Sign the Family Stone, mm-hmm. uh, Ohio, Ohio players, um, and so I was introduced to a lot of the kind of soul aspect of music that way. Mm-hmm. And I think I came at music from that early. Early influence first, and then when I kind of got moved to Atlanta, we got the opportunity for me to play an instrument, and I remembered that sound and really appreciated that, um, and decided I wanted to do play the saxophone there, and that's kind of where the where the saxophone started. Um, but jazz didn't start very much till later on, probably well into my twenties. Um, I was always playing in the big band in high school and college, but I really started getting into Music, jazz music more when I was introduced to this camp in Connecticut called Litchfield Jazz Camp and Festival. Mm-hmm. And um, that was really more of the influence for me, is the community of jazz musicians that was involved that is still involved in that camp. and um, So yeah, I had an early influence for the soul part of it from my family, but jazz came much later.
0: So was that the Atlanta part of, of growing up that was speaking to you more than anything else?
1: No, I mean when I moved to Texas was when um, I started playing jazz music okay. really, in, in the schools in the school districts, jazz bands. And then I had the opportunity to go when I was in college. I had the opportunity to go to Wichita Jazz Festival as a student. And then uh, after that, I became a, a teacher there. But that was really when I was starting to be more exposed to the small group jazz voice, um, and so that really was the influence there. But I was living in Texas at the time.
0: Okay. So speaking of Texas, I read in your bio that the, the music and academic worlds collided when you studied jazz and psychology at the University of Texas at Arlington. Talk to me about that.
1: So I originally went to that school so I could study medicine, and I really wanted to pursue the surgeon world. I was interested in mostly in that, and then I quickly realized that I had more of an, an interest in music, so I kind of lightened up on the science end of things and went to the psychology world and found myself very interested in perception and cognition. Mm -hmm. Um, Cognitive science, the kind of hard part of, the harder science part of psychology. And then I I kind of decided at that time and and later on in my career in college that I might want to try melding the two and I needed more. I feel like I needed more education on that end. And that's kind of what brought me to Chicago is that, Music cognition or music psychology degree at Northwestern University. Um, that I really wanted to pursue a graduate degree and kind of take a take a slight sojourn away from my playing for the moment.
0: Sure. So, did you get your PhD in music cognition? Or are you working on that right now? It said that's what it mentioned in your bio.
1: So I'm sorry. What did you say? Did you
0: did, did, you, did you did you did uh, you get your PhD in music cognition? Yeah, I did that. So let's talk a little bit about your playing here. Talk to me about the bands you've been involved with over the years.
1: Well, when I was in graduate school, it wasn't very uh, friendly with letting me play a lot. So I played in a couple different bands when I was going for my degree, and one of them was called Zing, and that band was really helpful to me for... Boring, free improvisation, and also just kind of more rock rock elements of jazz music. Um, and we wrote a lot of original compositions, and we went on the road a few times. And that band was with uh, these musicians who had moved here from New Orleans, Quinn Kirchner, who plays drums, and Matthew Glombisky, who plays bass, and Dave Miller, who's from Chicago originally, but um, now was in New York, and all these other people. Matthew lives on the west coast, and Quinn still lives here. And then James Davis, who plays trumpet, and um, is also from Texas. So that band was really great for me to explore improvisation and and jazz and kind of rock music. And then I also played in a couple jazz quintets. Um, but now I'm playing mostly in my own quintet, or sorry, quartet, with uh, Jeremy Cunningham and Mike Alamana and Matt Ferguson. And I play in a hip-hop band here, and I also play in a world music-focused reggae kind of soul and R&B group called Fat Book, and uh, yeah, and a lot of other jazz, smaller jazz groups.
0: So. And so with your quartet, you just recorded the, uh, the the latest album, Live, Work, and Play, which is a great album. Um, explain me the process. What, what were you thinking? How did the songs come about on this album?
1: Well, since this is kind of my first record, it really is my first record as a leader. Mm, I I guess I was mostly just trying to figure out how to write music better (laughs) through the whole process. Mm -hmm. Um, So like the first song on the album is a song called Kowtow, and in Chinese that means to to bow down to something that you can't um, conquer and I was really interested in trying to get better playing in the key of E, and I had talked to my friend Jeff Bradfield, who's a mentor of mine here, who plays saxophone in Chicago, great musician, and he told me, you should probably write music that challenges you in that in those ways. So I wrote a piece, that piece in particular, that, that's in the key of E. Um, and the other songs on the album, one of them is a three-part suite that I wrote for this gentleman in New Orleans who's who has a mild Autistic autistic Disorder, and um, I wrote that piece for him. He's a really special person to me when I, was, I lived there for a couple months. And he was very special to me there. And um, another piece was written for the poet Rumi, the 13th century poet Rumi, about one of his poems. And so it's kind of all over the map, but um, so, yeah.
0: That's interesting. Um, the uh, autistic story, that's interesting. How old is he?
1: At the time, he was 18. Okay. Now, I believe he's 19 or 20, and he lives with some really good friends of mine there, Jimbo, or James Walsh, and his and his wife, Jana. And they're really incredible musicians in their own right, and they also teach at the University of Loyola, or Loyola University there, and they were kind enough to let me stay with them. And Calvin, who's this, this guy, younger gentleman he lived in the back of their house with his mom and they're just really loving people all of them and i was so inspired by him and all of his love for music and people that i just wanted to write that song write that piece for him
0: how did he feel about it
1: i don't know i haven't talked to him about it (laughs) I i sent him the album but i haven't i haven't talked to him on the phone about it yet just curious so i should call him and ask him what he thought
0: yeah cool yeah um You know, as a live musician, everybody has their places they like to play at. Where is one of your favorite places to perform and why?
1: Hmm. Well, um, there's a new series going on here in Chicago at this bar that I'm actually playing at tonight called the Bar de Ville, and Hmm. it's right down the road here on Damon near Chicago Avenue right here in Ukrainian Village in Chicago, and it's... I love it, number one, because it's in my neighborhood. And it's, number two, because it's a really great listening room. A lot of people who come to listen to music there come there for the purpose of listening and quiet. And uh, the gentleman who runs the series, his name is Scotty McNeese, and he's just a great supporter of the community here. Um, and he invites musicians to play every Tuesday night to showcase their music, their original music. And I really love playing there. And I think it's a growing community and it's a growing uh, music series that he's put together and he used to also be in charge of this music series at Guilt Bar which is no longer active and he does one on Wednesday nights as well at this place called the Bedford which is which takes place inside of an old bank vault which is really cool. Cool. As well.
0: So So what's I really the like
1: sound I would say. What's the sound
0: cool. Like? Yeah, what's the sound like in there?
1: The sound in the vault or yeah. the sound yeah. in Bardeville? Yeah, in the vault. In the vault, it's great. It's really good. And funny enough, because the whole room is kind of um, metallic. There's all these old uh, safety deposit boxes. Yeah. I mean, it's all made of like hard, hard metal. And it, and really, it's funny because the sound is, is perfect.
0: It has so to be kind of a
1: smaller vibe. room, and, and it sounds great. So.
0: Yeah, you grab the ear of uh, my friend and engineer Sean Christopher here. He's he's very interested in this. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Sounds like the room was Also, be- you can access... You can, I can send you guys a link, but you can access these performances from the vault, inside of the vault, um, online. He records every every Wednesday night. He records the, the vault music series, and it's this website called uncannedmusic.com. You can go to that and check out the schedule, and also you can listen to every Wednesday night performance from the vault. Um, he posts them up regularly, weekly.
0: Uh, cool, if cool. you want
1: to hear it yourself,
0: you can listen to it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it uses yeah. Uses
1: one one nice microphone um, in front of the band. It sounds really good.
0: That's cool. Very cool. Yeah, I have that written down here. I'll have to uh, bring that up here later. Um, yeah. So, you know, all musicians get honored. Your honors, Downbeat's outstanding soloist in '06, outstanding graduate student presentation in '05, and on and on. What do honors mean to you as a professional musician and a, and a person?
1: Well, I kind of, I try, I mean, it's really flattering and honored. I feel honored to, to get those accolades. Um, but truthfully, I try to take those all with a grain of salt because um, there's a lot of, I still have a lot of growing to do as a musician. And um, I feel like if I think about those things too much, then maybe I would tend to not think that I have a lot of growth to do because I mean I definitely I just feel like I need a lot more practicing and keep going you know keep getting better and keep improving keep playing with better musicians and uh and so I I definitely try to keep those those things really only like on the resume and I try not to think too hard about it you know sure I am very honored and lucky to have received those
0: absolutely so as you've gotten more steeped into the world of jazz what style of jazz do you dig the most?
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, that, that kind of goes in waves for me. Right now, I'm really, really listening to a lot of Eddie Harris. Um, mm-hmm. actually just bought this album at the store the other day on vinyl called High Voltage with Jody Christian and Billy Hart. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's really good. It's just kind of jamming, jamming out <laughs> to these R&B grooves and Eddie Harris is playing on the, um, baritone saxophone so he's got like a delay pedal hooked up to the saxophone and and also distortion and it's i'm really digging that right now and uh i'm also listening to a lot of um early sonny rollins from the 50s so like the tour de force band that that record that came out in 1956 with kenny drew and max roach and earl coleman george morrow um so that's kind of like what's on my mind right now Personally, but I kind of go all over the place sometimes. Sure. I'm also, I'm really a big fan of Lee Konitz. I'm always a big fan of whatever he's doing.
0: Absolutely. So. Yeah, Lee was good. So, who would your who would you consider your jazz heroes?
1: Um, I would say those three people I just mentioned, <laughs> and uh, I mean, man, some other other women in jazz too. Mary Lou Williams comes to mind as somebody who's a hero of mine that I really look up to. Roy Haynes, these musicians who are still alive and still going. Sonny Rollins. When Von Freeman was alive, he was a huge influence for me. Yeah, uh, I get to see him every every week at the New Apartment Lounge for the last year that he was alive and doing that that session, and that was really special to me. I would say Von Freeman is on the top of that list.
0: Cool. So. so, your bio says that your goals in life are associated with bridging the gap between academia. And performance through collaboration. Talk to me about that.
1: Yeah, I I was just doing a guest lecture today at this university on the south side called Saint Xavier University, and I was really um, I was talking to the to the students about how to talk about what we hear as listeners in music um, openly. I think ma- mainly that's my goal is to try to get people to be aware or be mindful of what it is that, that they're listening to and treat music as something really special instead of something that's kind of a, a way to entertain us or to turn our minds off, which can also be very good. And music is entertainment in so many ways, but it's also like a very serious form of art. And I think, um, I think one way that the academic community has brought some... I don't know, cred, if for lack of a better word, to the music world, is that they take it very seriously and talk about it in these very analytical ways, which can sometimes be overkill, which is something I don't like about the academic world. But I do sure. think it's important for us to start having those conversations about music in these very serious ways.
0: You know, what I've always found intriguing about the jazz world is that there's so many musicians out there that want to give back. For instance, in Kansas City... Bobby Watson's at uh, the UMKC school here. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a, a prodigy out here in the Kansas City area, Herman Mahari. And I always love it when these guys have lived their lives in front of crowds and they decide to give it to somebody else. And uh, it, it's always very admirable to me. So just just a little yeah, side I note said, Bobby's
1: come through Chicago quite a bit and run. He's run some jam sessions at the Jazz Showcase. And I always like to see him playing at the Showcase. He seems to be very... In touch with the young generation of musicians around here. Yeah, he's and that's really that's really important. I think to be in touch with the younger younger folk.
0: Yeah, he's busy. He's got to have a strong heart, that guy. Um, yeah, for sure. So, um, speaking of Kansas City, since we're here and it's you know topical to to a good degree, have you been through here and played?
1: I have, but. Man, is that is that Club Jardines there? Yes. Yes. That, that's not. Maybe that's in Missouri.
0: That it's a, that's actually it's the former Jardines. It's not around anymore. I don't
1: think I have come through there. Not not recently for sure, not recently. But okay. I definitely have been in the vicinity on my way down to Texas. Gotcha. I, I played in one place that might not be open anymore. But, Interesting. but no, I haven't been there in a while. It's a very special place to me. I was just talking about Kansas City today and count basie the count basie big band yeah um and of course charlie parker and i would love to visit there to get the sense of how important he was to the community and see the landmarks i want to i want to check out kansas city i know how important it is to me as a musician because charlie parker was one of my very earliest influences as a saxophone player so
0: very cool yeah the jazz hall of fame is down here so it would be a uh, right, be a worthwhile yeah. trip Definitely. Um, so since September, you have been an adjunct lecturer in music theory at uh, Columbia College. How fulfilling is that?
1: Um, I would say that's something also that I try to keep my, my lives fairly separate. It's, it's good. I find myself learning a lot about... I find myself learning more about um, classical music, classical music world, which is very helpful to me. Like, I, I get a chance to analyze Bach Feuds, which is really fun and, to me. Um, and I get to interact with some students who are you know not all the students have a very keen interest in music theory, but some of them do and that's exciting for me. But yeah, it's something that uh, I, I really do enjoy it, but I, I try to keep myself more engaged in playing the music um, rather than analyzing it because I think it's, I think it's very important to, to perform it and play it that way through understanding it that way rather than analyzing too much.
0: So cool. So uh what are what are some of your short and long term plans? Say that again? Some of your short and long term plans.
1: Oh, my short and long term plans. Well hmm for The short term I'm just really looking forward to playing this gig that I have today. <laughs> That's there you go. really exciting for me right now. And we're this band that I've been playing for the past few days are we're recording an album tomorrow, so I'm, that's with Jeff Parker, the guitarist, and this great bass player, John Tate, on, and uh, the drummer who is organizing the whole thing, Charles Rumbach, who's a fantastic drummer here that I collaborate with often, and then Jason Stein, who plays bass clarinet, and who's fantastic as well. I love playing with all of them. That's kind of a short-term goal for me right now, and I'm also, um, I'm also trying to get our quartet, playing some summer festivals this, this summer at some point. And um, I'm also moving to New York in about a month, so that's really exciting and new and different for me. Um, that's, that's probably going to be a short and long-term goal.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> to survive yeah. In New York. Absolutely. So. so if you could go back in time and meet one jazz musician, who would it be and why?
1: Hmm. Oh, that's a that's a hard question. Would it be classical? <laughs> um, it be classical? Yeah, I would. I think there's so many of them. I mean, one person that comes to mind at this moment would be would be Polonius Monk, um, because he, I think he received he had so much hardship early on. Um, he had to go through so many, I don't know, trials and tribulations of getting his cabaret card lost and not being the most liked pianist in the bunch but very original voice and just kind of just would want to talk to him about standing his ground and keeping his head up through all of the through all of the mess and the muck and and potential failure you know that he had um yeah just how just how to keep that creative voice coming where he gets his inspiration i'd want to know for composing because i really care about composing I, he wrote so many wonderful songs. Um, but, I mean, I would, also, I would also like to talk to Charlie Parker if he was still alive about, about some of the same thing. I know he struggled a bunch.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, and also just about how he practiced. I would love to just sit and practice with him if he was still alive,
0: for sure. Yeah. Interesting. So what was it like to give your autograph out for the first time?
1: it was very flattering i almost felt like why do you want my autograph
0: <laughs>
1: but i you know it's another thing that i try to take with a grain of salt but it was i feel honored that somebody would want my signature on on that on my cd i feel very honored it's a very special occasion for me to experience and i hope to do it many more times but uh but i like to think of myself as sort of equal to many people out there so it's a little bit foreign to me Sure. Concept of doing that, but I do I do put a lot of weight on it. Um, so, yeah.
0: So I think you answered this one before, but I'm going to ask just to galvanize it. What album are you listening to now, or what's the last song you listened to?
1: Oh yeah, I'm that that Eddie Harris record, High Voltage. Um, the last song on that record is called Listen Here, which is a very famous song that he included yeah. on some other records of his, and I, I just listened to that just right now. About an hour ago.
0: So, very cool. It's a
1: really great version of that song.
0: So, is moving back to New York going to be kind of a homecoming, since you were already from there, or is this kind of a whole new gig? Because you're going to be in Manhattan as a jazz musician. Kind of how you feeling about the move?
1: Oh yeah. Well, I never lived there. My family, my parents, just went to college there years, very many years ago. But um, so I don't really, you know, I don't have any ties to the city other than some friends who i know who live there um but yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be an adventure i'm really looking forward to to going there and experiencing the intensity of the city and of the music that's being made there i'm really looking forward to that and kind of like getting my butt kicked a little bit (laughs) it's gonna be fun
0: cool So we've we've made our way down this path to the end of the interview and I have one question for you. And in the matter of brevity and modern technology, explain to me in the length of one tweet who you are, which would be 144 characters for those counting out there.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. Hmm. I would say I am a communicator and a I'm a communicator who likes to connect with other musicians. That's
0: what I would say. Cool. Thank you again for your time. Good luck in New York and continued success.
1: Okay. Thanks so much, Joe. It was a pleasure talking to
0: you. Have a great evening. Thanks for listening and tuning into our latest Neon Jazz interview, where we shed a bit of light on the jazz players across the country that are keeping the music world alive. And thanks to Caroline for her time and insight into and both her playing and teaching. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.